Welcome back, everybody. This is the Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. And I'm Brendan Porter. And we are the Photog Adventurers. What we're doing this year in 2016 is building our photography portfolios. We are in love with astrophotography and landscape photography. And you can follow along with us as we go through these adventures on our YouTube channel. And on our Twitter and Facebook and Instagram feeds, we keep you posted on where we're going, where we've been, and what upcoming videos are being edited and put on our YouTube channel. So follow along with us, sign up on our newsletter, and go to our website, photogadventures.com. This week we're talking about fall colors, Dry Canyon area that we went to, and a short hike we did and found some cool things along the way. Um, Dry Canyon is actually located on the northeast area of Orem, Linden, Utah area. It's a, uh, a canyon trail. It's about 5.6 miles. It's moderately trafficked. It's a loop that goes all the way around, and, uh, and it features beautiful wildflowers. It's rated pretty moderate. I mean, if you're, it's kind of medium. As far um, as the hike, hike goes. Yeah. It's not an easy hike. It's not the hardest hike. It's, you know, somewhere in between. Um, dogs are also allowed. So one of these days we'll bring my dog. So I had gone up to this trail a few weeks earlier with the scouts and happened to go to the very top of it and seen this terrain as being very promising for fall colors. A lot of trees were starting to change a little bit and we had really cool rocks outcropping from the forest there. And so it had a lot of potential and I knew that we had to get back there. So one weekend when we're sitting there on the driveway looking up in the hills, both of us were mesmerized by all the red trees that we could see from the valley. As the sun was setting and hitting that mountainside with golden light, and we thought, okay, we have to go up there, and we have to mm-hmm. go up there soon. So the, the initial part of the hike is pretty steep. I oh, got worn out really crazy. fast. And there's some crazy death pipes that you got to walk across and on <laughs> and over, and yeah, there's bolts sticking out of the ground. Yeah, trying to mitigate erosion water flow, they tried to direct the water under the trails so that that water wouldn't mess up the trail. But man, that top part, the top soil above those pipes were too loose, eroded away, and now you have this slick pipe that you can slip on at any moment. And you've got to walk on it. Yeah. That's part of the trail now. So that's interesting. Um, when we got to like the halfway point, I think, it feels like kind of a halfway point, we could see this rock jutting out of the hillside. And it was pretty like distinct. The rock was kind of like there, and there's just kind of like nothing but like trees and softer ground all around it. So it was pretty easy to see that's the place we want to go to. So on the way to that rock, so we saw the rock, and we had to figure out a way to get to that rock because there wasn't like a direct path. So on the way there, we saw this really cool fort that it looked like it had been built by hunters because it did not look like some kids did that. It was pretty oh, yeah. intense. Out of the blue, we're hiking around the corner, and there we see... Was it mostly built with branches? Yeah. Like only like, branches, right? Yeah, it looked like um, branches that you could fit two hands around. Not logs, but yeah, thick branches. Yeah. It was built around four or five existing trees. So they, they, they found a good spot and cleared it. And there wasn't any vegetation growing inside either. It was that very, was surprising. The dirt floor was, very, was actually very clean and mostly flat. So. Either heavily trafficked so it never grows or just recently maintained. Yeah. Is interesting place. It was impressive how they found those three trees that were growing out of the ground right there in a perfect spacing mm-hmm. to connect all these branches because they had some lashings done, not mm-hmm. many, mm-hmm. and there was a tarp that used to be there a year ago that obviously eroded. But it was re- recently and replaced. Then replaced, yeah. yeah. And so they replaced the roof, 
and tied that back down. But nothing else was very lashed together. It wasn't glued or nailed, not obviously in any way. Right, right. So it was a very interesting construction and pretty well done. And pretty big for the size. So it was, yeah. um, you could probably fit like eight people in there. It looked like it was going to be completely dirty on the inside. You halfway expected it to be infested by spiders. Or as, hobos. <laughs> or, or some hostile hobos. Knife-wielding hobos. <laughs> we went inside that place, and it was actually very clean. It looked like it had been swept. I, I only saw like one or two pieces of litter, and that was it. From the outside, I looked in there and said, okay, yeah, that might be something I would use if I was desperate, but I'm not going to sleep in anything like that. But it turned out to be as clean as a tent would, where there wasn't mm-hmm. anything hanging or dangling. There wasn't a lot of litter, and there was even one chair that someone left in there for us. Yeah, it was, it was very interesting. So <laughs> if you guys watch the YouTube video about that adventure, you guys will see what we're talking about. While this was a photog adventure for us, it wasn't a typical one, because we didn't have to get in our car and drive very far. So... No cost, no car rental, no extra food need to be purchased. This was one of our cheapest possible photog adventures ever, and yet I still managed to lose $50. We're going through this whole hike, and I'm using the selfie stick to go high vantage point views over us as we're hiking. One of my favorite things to do is to hold it over my shoulder like Tom Sawyer and have it be that perspective where you could still see me in the lower end of the camera and then see Brendan hiking in front of me. So I use that a lot, or I'd get views over the tree line, and I kept using it and using it, and it was a perfect day to have a selfie stick that was an extendable selfie stick for this camera. Right at the top of the mountain, Brendan's out there getting a shot for our thumbnail for the Photog Adventure YouTube channel. Oh, we haven't mentioned this. The clouds were so heavy, it was raining on us some of the time and then would stop. And so we thought we may not get a sunset. We may have clouds covering everything. Oh, true, yeah. So we were going up this hill with a lot of faith and confidence that, you know what, we're going to try to get to a composition, scout it, if anything, and then when we get up there, if we get lucky and there's a break in the light and we can get some cool lighting, that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. So we are just really hoping for all this to happen. So when we have a little break in the light at the top of the hill, and I go, okay, let's grab a thumbnail, and Brendan has the better full-frame camera for a good wide thumbnail of the area that we were at. So he went down and grabbed a shot of the colorful trees so that we could see it in our thumbnail shot, and I wanted to capture some GoPro B-roll, and the B-roll needed me to extend it one more time, and that was the last time that selfie stick was willing to be extended because it popped right off. It was like popping off one of the daisies at the end of the stem where I was pulling it out, and pop, my GoPro was flying off. The end of the stick, I did catch it. Luckily, the GoPro could handle a quick four-foot fall because I'm not a terribly tall person. So now I've lost a selfie stick, and I had to buy a $12 selfie stick again. They aren't very expensive, but that $12 adds on to something else I lost. The entire time, we've been using this lapel mic that I purchased so that we can have better audio when we're out there going about, and it records in connection to my iPhone. I was running into tree branches the whole time and snagging on other things, so I decided once we got our shot... Let's pack it away in my pocket so that I don't lose this in the dark as we're coming down the hill. So I thought, okay, put it in my pocket. Let's keep it safe. So there it was, safe in my pocket, only to lift my iPhone out several times to check things, check the map, listen to music. And throughout all of my lifting my iPhone in and out of my pocket, I threw the wires somewhere. The lapel mic fell out at one point and is on the trail. I don't know where. I don't know how far it was down the hill. And we didn't notice it until we got all the way down to the bottom. And at that point, it wasn't worth going back for a 30-something dollar lapel mic that I was trying out from Amazon. So, well, there goes 35 Mm -hmm. bucks. There goes a $12 selfie. And Aaron King lost $50 on a five-minute-from-home hike. 
so, so the last thing I want to mention about this trip is that as we were heading back to the car, we saw two shadowy figures in a tree, <laughs> in a dead tree. There was no foliage on the tree, and, and we saw these two shadows, and we're like, what is that? It was pretty ominous. And we're like, those look like really big birds. <laughs> and so we kept walking, and they were right under our path. Like, we walked right underneath them, and you could feel the eyes staring at us. And we're like, dude, those are vultures. Those are huge birds. And they were turkey vultures. I guess um, I didn't really think about that. Me neither. I don't think I've ever seen turkey v- or vultures in Utah before, but I know they're here. Right. Just like bears. Like I've never actually seen a bear, but there's apparently bears around. And I guess there's cougars here too. Going underneath those, it felt like we wanted to find a different path, but not. there wasn't any way of going through the trees. They're so thick there. The area mm-hmm. was so thick with vegetation. Our only choice was to walk five feet underneath. What was it, five? More like, what, 15, 20 feet over our head? Yeah, maybe 15, yeah. So the only choice was to walk 15 feet underneath these vultures and hope that, hey, they're settling up for the night. They are not interested in anything that looks small and tasty. Yeah, because by the time we were hiking down, the sun had set, and it was just getting darker and darker. So these guys were literally like two dark, (laughs) shadowy silhouettes in the tree. And it was pretty creepy. It was good. So let's go ahead and take our first break. Come back talking more about how the hike went, and we'll go into what worked well for us in our photography and what we learned from the trip. Let's talk about what worked and what went well. My L-plate worked fantastic. I had had the L-plate purchased. I wasn't using it much because my battery grip would get in the way, and the L-plate doesn't fit my battery grip and the camera. So I wanted to use the L-plate sometimes, or I'd use the battery grip, and I hadn't had much time with the L-plate. This is a perfect opportunity for it. As we're up there and we're fighting this, trying to find our composition, the clouds are covering most of the sky, and we have this opportunity where there's a sliver open, the light's coming through, very full sun, very full brightness, and I can't take any extra time. And I was in the middle of a panorama. So I had pulled my L-plate up, slipped it over to portrait orientation, was doing a panorama. And as I was on my fourth frame of the panorama with only two to go, I could see that the trees, the reds and the oranges were starting on fire. It was a visible difference from when the light hit those tree leaves that I knew I needed to hurry and finish this panorama. Boom, boom. And then click, click, switch, land, snap. I twisted it one last time and it was back on my tripod. I love how the well plates can switch so quickly from each orientation. And I love how the camera feels secure in it. If I didn't have that, doing a panorama would have cost me a lot of extra time moving my ball head around and getting position and then switching it back to a whole new orientation just to capture the shot. But I didn't have to re-level out my tripod. I didn't have to do any of that work. All I had to do was just go release, switch, go. I have a similar L plate. And I also love the same features. I mean, I got my L plate because of the one you had and the way it was working for you. So I ordered one for myself too. And yeah, I concur. It's an awesome, awesome option to have. They seem so unnecessary as it just connects your tripod to your camera and it makes flipping from portrait to landscape easier, but it is really important. Yeah, it is actually a really nice little thing, but goes a long way. Yeah, and the last thing I would say to the L-plates is if you're out there looking and shopping for one, do not worry about getting one from Canon or Nikon or your brand. Get the third-party manufacturer version as long as it is fitted for your camera. You can get away with the Sunway Photo. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. They're high quality. 
you don't need to worry about getting a cheaper $30, $40 one compared to the $100, $80, $160 ones that are out there. You just need to make sure that it fits your camera. And if it fits your camera body, then you'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, they're made out of aluminum, so most likely it's going to be pretty solid construction. Yeah. And they're not too heavy to include in your bag. So it's not something that you feel like it's an extra luxury that you're adding to your bag and then hiking up with extra weight. It's worth almost nothing. Yeah. So speaking of hiking and how the hiking goes, we as a photog adventure group, we kept going to locations that were practically on the side of the road or we were less than a mile in. And so this was one of our first times together where we needed to hike two hours to get to our location. And so this was pretty an interesting experience where I found out that my camera bag is just trash for hiking. I know it was good. It has a lot of good pockets. It has really nice places where carabiners can latch onto and hang different things from it. <sighs> but man, it is it is so bad for hiking. You had a pretty good bag for hiking. Yeah, no, see I was gonna say I, I just I was lucky because the week before I picked up a used black diamond oh. backpack. And the thing I liked about it is it had a space for a bladder to go inside. And I saw that it was big, but he also had the hip the hip foam and grips to go around your hips. And so when I load my equipment in there, plus the uh, water bladder that's like a two liter, I think. Two liter bladder. That's a big bladder. It is. And you've got your camera. Did you find that it was really heavy carrying two liters of water or was it okay? It didn't feel that heavy until you put everything in it together. Oh, gotcha. And then it felt heavy. I'm like, I'm so glad this is not on my shoulders. Because <laughs> exactly. once I put it around my hips and cinched it nice and tight, then my legs took up on all the extra weight. And your shoulders take maybe a quarter of the weight. I mean, it's really huge difference from my Canon bag that I would normally use to this one. Excellent. So glad I had that for the hike. Oh, yeah. I was so envious of you because my bag's not a name brand. I just liked the way it looked. It was a nondescript camera bag. It could be a backpack of anything. Now, mm-hmm. Not just like a Jan Sport backpack. We're talking an interesting gray canvas bag that has a flip top. It has a slot in the back from my laptop or put my iPad Pro in there. It had so many things that I wanted about it. Yeah, it's a it nice came, bag. Uh, when it came to the compartments, it was actually not good enough because I couldn't keep a lens on my body. I had to separate my body from the lenses in order to put it all in nice, but it has a lot of space. It had a lot of good padding. And then everything else, I have pockets beyond pockets holding my light painting stuff, a thing holding all my tools to fix the tripod, tighten the tripod, and fix anything that might go loose. And I carry batteries and extra things and the camera equipment. So the camera bag was pretty nice until you carried it around for two hours. Oh, yeah. Then you feel beat, man. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. And it's not just that it was heavy because I think it was lighter overall compared to your bag. But because the weight was distributed to my waist, it didn't have one of those trampoline backs that keep it away from your back and have Mm. some airflow. And because it didn't have a really good uh, chest and waist straps to kind of distribute the weight, plus, uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? Oh, the bladder. It didn't have a bladder for water. So I had to carry water bottles in two water bottle packets that are sitting there bouncing around and banging into my side the whole time I hiked. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, if you, if you plan on doing photography and going out on hikes, get yourself a nice bag, a backpack, get yourself a nice hiking backpack and make sure your camera equipment that you want to take can fit in there. Okay. And you'll be good. Yeah. So a little bit of what went well for me and what didn't go well right there in one section. Yeah. So when I got home and I started to process my pictures, I really was excited that I had taken enough photos during the day or during that trip that when I got home, I found some real gems. 
And one thing that I can just recommend to our listeners is you've got a digital camera. Take as many photos as you can. Don't be stingy and take your camera out. It's really easy on I'm a guilty hike. guilty of that. Yeah, exactly. It's really easy on a hike to leave your camera in your bag until you get to your spot, but you you never know. Especially when you're racing the sunset, you think, I got to get there. That's yeah, why I'm and here. it was an inconvenience. Once I pulled my, my camera and my tripod and put them all together oh, right. and carried it, it was inconvenient, but I'm glad I did because I, I was going through and sorting. I'm like, hey, that one's actually pretty good. And, you know, so, yeah, you never know. Did you end up with any bruises on your back from having your camera and your tripod connected that you did? In the end, No, he... no, because my backpack has this solid um, like oh, plastic divider between my back and the backpack. Another example of why your backpack's better. Yeah, it was actually very good. So nothing was hitting my back. I didn't have any bruises or anything. It was, it was fine. So in case you're not understanding how to picture this, he had gotten out the camera and the tripod so that he can take some shots so that we can do that for the thumbnail. And then he, we wanted to hurry, so he just put the whole tripod, slid it into the zipper of his bag with the camera and the head, gear head, attached to it. And so we're talking all of that, which was distributed between three different compartments in his bag, was now one big long thing sticking out the back of it. And he only zipped it as far as he could until it kind of collapsed on the legs of the tripod. And then it was, what, like a foot up above your head? Yeah. So I walk around like kind of like a human crane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was inconvenient. And the shifting of the weight was definitely different. But, you know, I made it work. And and none of the bruises know. happened because that was enough padding right there. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the backpack was definitely, there was definitely fine. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? What did you learn from this trip? From this trip, I learned very quickly looking at your shot compared to mine that I just have to keep moving. I actually thought I was being really good about moving. I always think in my head, okay, don't let your tripod get roots. Don't let your tripod get roots. Don't mm. find a spot when you first arrive, put the tripod legs down and settle on that. I had, we, okay, put into perspective, when we got to the top of the trail, we knew that over here somewhere was the rock. We had to go off the beaten path to try and find a pathway out to that rock. And then when we could see the rock, we ended up having to weave our way through the weaker areas of where branches were connecting between bushes and trees and say, okay, that's going to slap my face only four times. So over here would probably slap my face and scratch my eyes out. So let's go over here to that side that only slaps your face four times. So we were squeezing through tight little branch scratching Scrub oak. gauntlets that mm. were, <laughs> were devastating. So once we got to a little clearing next to the rock where we could have the rock in our shot and red trees... It was very easy to say, okay, this is it. I'm not going back through there to find any more spot. Oh, right. But I commended myself for being better than that and saying, no, I think maybe on top of these rocks would be a better spot. And so I fought myself back through the gauntlet, packed up what I had, and then hiked up and climbed on top of the rock. Now, it wasn't very far, but because you're going through the gauntlet of branches that were scratching you, plus you had to hike up on these rocks that seemed kind of precarious until you got up there and you realized it was actually pretty great. I felt good about having moved there. I'm like, here, I've got the rocks. They're going to be in my frame. They're going to have some red on them from the sunset. I got the clouds going great right now. I, I felt perfect about my shot until I saw yours. Well, and at the beginning, I was doing the same thing. I was up on the hill trying to get the rock and the valley and all that, that all in the same shot. And yeah. you're like, hey, I'm on the rock. You should come over here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> So I did the same thing. A weave through I should these never have crazy told branches. you to come over there. I think I should have been selfish and just looked at everything up on that rock and then told you about it once I found your spot. 
Yeah, and I just avoided you. I went to the other side of the rock, but you were up on the left. <laughs> I came to the right, started taking some shots, and I thought, no, this isn't quite working for me. I'm going to the very last rock to the right. <laughs> so and the ad- that's where the magic happened for me. Exactly, and that's the advice is keep moving, and the reason why it's the advice is because despite having a nice composition of rocks at the bottom of my frame, what I didn't know because up on top of the rocks, when you're looking, you can only see those rocks. You're thinking only about them. What I didn't know was that over there on the left, that last rock, oh no, on the right, mm-hmm. over there on the right, on that last rock on the right that Brendan went out to and almost lost his iPhone, dropped it to 50. Oh my gosh, that was crazy. I forgot about that. <laughs> almost dropped his iPhone 50 to 100 oh feet. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> on that last rock, when you got over there, now the composition of rocks that were pretty nice to frame your shot at the bottom of your frame, instead of being entirely across the bottom, they were this accent on the left, and they had this line that paralleled with another leading line of the canyon, the canyon where it was beginning with vegetation and worked its way down to the cliff faces and then down into the city. It was freaking amazing. That leading line was awesome. The leading line led to a bunch of red trees that I saw in my frame too, but my frame wasn't completely filled from the bottom to the top third with red trees like Brendan's. He has a leading line of red trees. He has them taking off from the beginning to the very middle to the past the middle. It's just... When I took that shot, I knew I had found something because it it almost felt like a red leafy rip curl coming into my frame like yeah. an ocean wave and i was like oh my gosh this looks amazing <laughs> yeah and the sun broke underneath the underneath the clouds and just shined right under our feet where all those red leaves were i mean we could have we couldn't have set perfect timing better you know oh, i know i'm so jealous i'm so envious i'm so mad i mean just put in perspective picture it with your eyes you have trees that are red rocks you have a lake you have a good sunset All of those four elements were in both of our pictures, but in mine, I was blocking some of the trees and blocked a leading line, and they were just kind of equally dispersed throughout the frame instead of having what was a flowing, natural, organic way for your eye to move up the picture, and just I'm I'm full of envy. Well, thanks. That's one of my best pictures, I think, so far. Yeah. And the phone thing I totally forgot about. When I was packing up to leave... No, no. What I was doing is I was getting a picture of my setup for Instagram. So if you guys are following Instagram, you can see the picture of the tripod with the sunset. And I posted that just like, hey, this is where I am right now. (laughs) And then it slipped out of my hands and started sliding on the rock. And I was watching the whole thing. And I'm sitting there trying to catch it with my foot like, no. <laughs> and he's like, "What it was? What he's like? What are you following yourself?" <laughs> like, no, my phone. And I stopped it once, and then it slid again. And I was like, at the very edge, and my foot stopped it one more time, and I just held it there. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I almost <laughs> just lost my phone." <laughs> like a knowing mother who looks at another mother who has their child getting into some danger or getting into some situation where they could get hurt, and you feel for them. I looked at him as I watched his iPhone fall down the rock, and thinking, "Oh no, it's gone forever." And I, emotionally, I was there with you. It would have been so hard to find it. Like, it would have slid down those rocks. Those rocks were probably like 50 feet, at least 50 feet down. 
Yep. And it was, would have fallen into a bunch of scrub oak. If and we would have found it, it still, the pathway we took to get to that rock for maybe 50 yards would have been the entire pathway back to the trailhead at the bottom. We would have had to go through the scrub oak the same way, scratching our face just to get out of there. Once it would have been a whole other adventure phone. just to find the thing. It was just, yeah. And it was getting dark. Exactly. Oh my God. It was a scary thing. A lot of stuff learned there, a lot of stuff risked, and I lost 50 bucks and he almost lost $700. I, I, I'm glad that he didn't lose $700. Let's go ahead and move on to our last segment. Let's have a quick break and we'll come back and talk gear time with Brendan. Welcome back to the final segment of the Photog Adventures podcast. So before we go into gear time, I wanted to let you guys know on our YouTube channel so far, we have been featuring a quick review of our pictures that we've had so far and whether they go in our portfolio. We've had Photog Adventures where you've seen us go out together and get our shots or a solo Photog Adventure or scouting locations. We want to add a few more features to our Photog Adventures channel by adding a gear time that's visual. Now through audio alone, gear time is still great, but seeing it visually and also having a chance to make some videos where we show a couple of different pieces of gear, compare them, show what's good and the pros and cons of each, we feel like that'll be a lot of fun. So we're going to start having more gear time videos with Brendan live as well as some videos showing our post-processing and how we edited these photos and so look for those to come soon yeah that'll be a lot more fun for me i mean i, I like your time but i'm more i'm definitely a more visual person so. oh yeah understand that so speaking of that the second rate version of gear time is starting now with brendan all right, so today we're going to talk about Manfrotto gearhead that i picked up because of the recommendation of royce bear and i picked up one and it's heavy you know it's it's not anything really light it's made out of metal <laughs> <laughs> and it's like mostly metal. And it also has its own unique mounting plate. It's it's a Manfrotto gearhead, but it has some weird, crazy, huge mounting plate that you would put your camera onto. And it's not a typical Manfrotto um, shoe to go on your camera. So our mounting plate. So um, those are two things going against it. You know, it's heavy and has this weird, unique plate. I had to make my own adapter out of aluminum and I had to machine some well not machine but i had to drill some holes and 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 you know thread them and all this stuff to get my plate on there and i love doing that stuff anyways i love building stuff <laughs> yeah. so why not i would have spent a lot more time looking online for it and you just like well let's go make yeah it. i just built it and uh, i had the i had the parts so <laughs> <laughs> why not then um so that was fine and that worked for me but not everybody's gonna be able to do that you know so um what i did find is that those are the worst of the things great but when it's time for me to take it out and use it i'm so glad i have it <laughs> it's heavy I have this weird mounting plate but when i start using it i'm like man this thing is a dream and so once it's set up on the tripod and you're using it you're glad you brought it no matter how heavy it was um now there are other versions of this tripod i've got the 410 junior and there is a bigger one um, called the 405 and it's called the 405 Pro, I believe, I think. But the Junior is already so bulky and beefy that I don't really have a problem with it. I mean, it's it's pretty big. And it holds my camera just fine. If you need something bigger, you get the 405 option. And if you need something smaller and lighter, there's an X-Pro, which I actually want to buy. And I want to test it out compared to mine because it's like 
more than half the weight, and I really want to uh, see if I like it any better. So, so when I pick that one up, I'll do comparison between the two on a video, and I think it'll be a good thing to show in the video. Something that we've all gone through is coming into cameras and learning from those who've come before us and seeing their video referrals and their website blogs saying, hey, you need this, you need that. A ball head is all I ever wanted and all I ever thought I needed. Mm -hmm. I came in and I thought, okay, yeah, ball head, that's what everyone says, get a ball head. Of course you want a ball head, it's so much easier. A gearhead seemed counterintuitive until we saw Royce Bear use it and until yeah. I've seen you use it ever since because it's pretty awesome that you can just tweak an axis so easily and crisply. And you know what? I have my composition off a little bit by a degree. He can find that degree. I have to sit there and kind of hold my ball head still while I tweak the knob so that I can move it just a tad. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that it has an axis, a gear for each axis, it honestly makes me wonder when I, when I sometimes take a picture and I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I'm like, what was I thinking? You're like, why was I still off? It was easy to fix. So, so the recommendation is if you are into landscape photography and you like to do macro, if you're like me, I like macro and I like landscape. This was like the perfect thing for both. Do you think you'll do macro with this? I mean, macro oh, absolutely. No, absolutely, because you can tweak it just a little bit and you, get you can just focus. rotate. It's not going to focus you in and out, but if you're going to tweak it left and right or up and down a little bit, man, pfft. Perfect. Okay, guys, so buckle down a little bit because the tip of the week that I'm going to talk about is more of a lesson about how to use the information you get from cleardarksky.com. And I want to talk about each individual condition that you want to check before you know that you should go or you should get out there. When you're looking at it, obviously, you're going to find out cloud cover first because beyond that, who cares? If it's going to be covered with clouds, then it's over. And that's a quick and easy site. If you've ever gone to cleardarksky.com or seen other things like it, you've probably seen the graphs that have all the squares that are blue to white. If it's white, it has too many clouds. If it's blue and dark, dark blue, that's when you want to go. So the first condition is cloud cover. Once you've covered that, you move on to transparency and seeing. This is where it gets confusing, and most people who haven't gone out with telescopes don't know the term seeing and transparency. Transparency seems obvious, but it seems like it was covered with cloud cover. How is transparency any different? Well, here's how it goes. The air, the atmosphere between us and the stars that we're looking at, there is a transparency to it. And the reason why it's called a transparency is because you have water vapor in the air that is distorting it. And the fewer, the lesser water vapor you got, the more transparent the air is, which is why in the cold wintertime, it can be way better. Or if you go somewhere like Chile in the top of the mountains in the desert there where it's really dry air and it's really high so that you can get high altitude above most of the light pollution and the air pollution, you have a very great transparent sky. And that's why all the astronomers go out to that observatory in Chile and have they're building a new telescope out there right now. Transparency is just like the cloud cover where blue is better. And in this case... What is your purpose of using transparency? When you have good transparency, what do you want to go see? Transparency is going to help you see some of these low contrast objects like the nebulae and the galaxies that you can see up there. These things are very dim and very, very faint. And if you have poor transparency, you're not going to make them out. You're not going to resolve them in your telescope or in your camera. If you're planning on seeing Orion's nebula, 
and you want to see it even capture on camera or if you want to capture the Andromeda Galaxy on camera and do one of those 250 image stacks that you can see all the different colors and see all that detail in the spiral arms of the galaxy, well, you're going to need to make sure that you have really good transparency that night. Otherwise, your focus, your stacking might not turn out that great anyway. So make sure you have good transparency. The last condition is seeing, and seeing is important for seeing planets. Just like the previous two, blue is better. And so if you see a condition on the cleardarksky.com where it shows your area as three bars of dark blue, then make sure you have nothing planned that night because it's time to go out. Seeing in short is basically the movement of the air. So when you look at Jupiter and you want to see the stripes in the cloud cover of Jupiter and make out the detail, if you have bad seeing, it'll look like Jupiter is under a layer of rippling water and you just can't quite focus on it. So in short, guys, if you wanted to find out if you should be out there with your telescope and camera and you're checking the conditions, cloud cover is obvious. Transparency is when you want to see dim objects like galaxies and nebula. If you have good transparency, then it'll be worth going out there looking for deep sky objects like that. And if you wanted to see planets and take a picture of Saturn, make sure your seeing is good. If your transparency is poor, but your seeing is good, then planet night it is. If your seeing is bad, but your transparency is awesome, make sure you look for deep sky objects like the Triangulum Galaxy or see the Whirlpool Galaxy. Or one of my favorites is where you look at the Andromeda Galaxy with your naked eye. You can actually see the little fuzz right there. It's awesome. So to help you guys out with clear dark sky, most of us have mobile phones. Those of you who have iPhones, I would recommend the MyCSC app. The MyCSC app is $1.99 if you want to buy it. It'll give you a detailed chart and allow you to pick five locations in your area that you want to double check. So I have on mine. It's pretty good value. Absolutely. $1.99 is nothing to pay for this, and it's nice to keep it all in one place. Using MyCSC app, you can see five locations quickly, and if you needed more detail, you just tap on them and open their detailed chart, and it'll give you everything else. Not mentioned is darkness, wind, humidity, and temperature, which you can also get from these readings. And the last thing I should mention is that these readings only go out for 48 hours. And so if you're sitting there on a Tuesday night like I am right now, it's giving me the hour at the end of Tuesday night, all of Wednesday, and most of Thursday. The hour that it is right now on Thursday night is not shown. And so it's only a 48-hour prediction. So make sure you're always checking these before you head out. Awesome tip of the week. Thanks, Aaron. You bet. It's definitely a long lesson and a lot to capture and try and understand, but uh, it's worth it, especially if you're going to go out with a telescope. Absolutely. Thank you guys again for coming along with us on our podcast to talk about our trip up in the Dry Canyon and seeing the fall colors. Hope that you guys have had a chance to get out with your own cameras and had a photog adventure of your own. Have a great day, guys. See you later. Enjoy your week.